I went to the podiatrist on Tuesday, I think it was, and he said, when I sit down, I have to keep my foot flat on the floor. And I said, but that hurts. He said, yeah, but it's also stretching it slightly. It's not my deltoid ligament. I don't know if that's good or bad. Anyway, it's not. It's the other thing underneath. It's the plantar's fascia, for those of you who know about it. Otherwise, most of you are going to be like me and say, the what? This thing that goes from your heel to your big toe, that thing underneath. And apparently I've stretched it or done something to it. And it's all bound up and taped up, so now I have to wear these sneakers for the next four weeks. Yeah, goody. When I wear sneakers, my feet sweat. So after about three days, my sneakers stink. So, did you say about foot washing? I think we should start that ministry in this church. We're going to read God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We are in a series, we are at the second last week of this seven week series on um, being transformed and being transformed in many different areas of our life. As we've been saying, um, God is very concerned about us personally and he's concerned about all of us, not, all, not only all of us individually but the whole of us personally. He's concerned about every aspect and area of our life. Um, he's concerned about our relationship with him, our spiritual health. He's concerned about our bodies, our physical health. He's concerned about our emotional health, our relationships, our relational health. He's concerned, uh, we'll say this morning, about our um, financial health, how we handle finances. We're going to talk about that. And he's even concerned about our work of wherever that happens to be. He's concerned about our vocational health. Every area of our life God is concerned about. And he's concerned that we, he wants the best for us and he wants us, the best way for, for us to get the best for us is by doing what he instructs us to do. He's the one who made us, he's the one who knows us and he has the best advice for us. And so we, because of sin, sometimes often um, foolishly ignore his instructions and we go our own way. We get seduced by the evil one or we get um, seduced by other people and their advice or whatever it is and we get pulled off track and so I hope this series is a good reminder for us, it certainly is for me, uh, to get ourselves realigned to, in every area of our life and certainly this morning, I don't know if I'll mention it or not, but there's one aspect of this that I went, oh I hate doing this but this week has been challenging for me to say well this is something god wants me to be involved in and god to be and for me to be doing if i'm going to be financially healthy um so we're going to talk about that this morning uh, i forgot to tell you this afternoon we're having on the second sunday of each month on a sunday afternoon from two o'clock till four o'clock in the conference room there's going to be a thing we call the pastor's chat and what it is is simply an open forum if there's anything you want to talk about in the life of the church, if there's something that could concern you, you may have um, some constructive feedback to give as something you're not happy with, something you don't like, well, that's an opportunity for you to do that. Um, it might be that you've got a personal concern, that you've got a concern, a question about the Bible or theology, or you're, you're looking for some wisdom and God's help, or you might just want someone to pray for you, to come and share a heartache or a need and to be prayed for. Well, there'll be a pastor here on a Sunday afternoon, usually on the second Sunday of the month, and usually uh, it'll be me. It won't 
always be me and it sometimes won't only be me. And so sometimes Pastor Alvin will be there, particularly for the Cantonese congregation. Um, sometimes Pastor David will be there. Uh, sometimes all three of us may be on site. But there'll be a pastor on site on the second Sunday in the afternoon. Some of you, uh, you know, take that opportunity because you find it hard to get an appointment with us or, or whatever. So here is an open opportunity and just turn up unannounced, just walk in um, and see who's there and see what you want to share. So this afternoon, two o'clock in the conference room, if there's anything you want to talk about, pray about. Pastor David this morning is down the Mandarin congregation. He's preaching there and he'll be preaching again tonight on this same issue of financial health. Um, let's read God's word and then let's pray. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I think it's from verse 6. Is that right? And I'm not sure how far we're going to go. I can't remember. So I'll just read till the end of the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. As it is written, they, were freely scattered, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I'm still going. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. <clears throat> because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you and their hearts um, will go out to you. Um, because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you for your indescribable gift, the gift of the Lord Jesus. The one who came and who stood in our place. The one who bore the full penalty of our misdeeds and sins and distractions the one who loves us unconditionally and gave himself and his all for us. We thank you for him. And now, Lord, in response to his great act of love to us, help us to both respond in a way that is appropriate, but respond in a way which expresses our love and our commitment, particularly in this area of managing our finances. Could you again remind us, enlighten us where necessary, correct us, challenge us, encourage us? Lord, we want to be healthy in every aspect. We want to be whole. We want to be transformed to be more like Jesus. 
So we pray that you'll assist us in this area of our life. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. What's number one in your life? What's the most important thing, person? What's your first priority? Got an answer? Not what should it be. What is it? Well, it shouldn't be God, shouldn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Loving him. Is it? You know it should be. My question is, is it? And this is one area in particular where that can get tested, this whole area of finances. What does the Bible say about finances? And Jesus certainly says to us that we cannot love and serve God and money. Mammon, literally, he says. Anything of a material or something of value. You can't put God first and money first. What's first in your life? God and money. Well, you can't. God and something. No, it's God is first. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way for us to be healthy. It needs to be. And maybe that's where, as far as we need to go today, maybe that's the issue for you. Maybe during this service or by the end of this service, you need to make that choice. Is God going to be number one for you? Maybe you've never made that choice. Well, maybe today you need to. Maybe you made that choice and like many of us, you've been distracted and you got off course and he's no longer number one and you need to make that recommitment to it. Larry Burkett, who was the founder of Crown Ministries, Financial Ministries International, I think. He was a businessman before he entered into this, founded this ministry. And he was wondering what the Bible actually says about finances. It's a good question. The Bible says a lot about it. So he did a study on it and he came up with 100 verses and I don't know who he spoke to, but somebody said to him, well, if it's only 100 verses, then it's not a very important subject. So he did some more research and he broadened it, not only talking about money, but he spoke about giving and possessions. And when you add that into it, he discovered the word believe, which is a very important word, and we all need to believe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved to believe in God and to ask him for forgiveness. Believe is used apparently 272 times in the Bible. 272 times. The word pray, which is again very important, 370 times. The word love, most important thing of all. 700 plus times, 714 times. The word give money possessions, 2,350. God says a lot about money and possessions and the things we own. Clearly, it's a very important area of our life and something that we need to get right, to be aware of and to use it wisely. Jesus said more about money, in fact, than he did about anything else. Over half his parables have an illustration about or refer to or use someone who is rich or someone with money or it's about money or talents or... He said more about money than he did about heaven and hell, of that which is recorded of what he said. 
But the reality is, I guess this is true for you, it certainly is for me, money causes us to be anxious, doesn't it? Money is very able to distract us from God. So what does the Bible say about money? Well, I'm going to speed through this and then come to some hopefully practical suggestions. When I say speed through this, that's, it's all relative. It's speed for me, not for you. It'll be a very slow, long, drawn-out experience for you, but I'm speeding, all right? Number one, is money good, bad, or neutral? The answer is neutral. Money's not good, money's not evil. It's neutral, morally neutral. If anything, you would have to say that it'd be more good than it is. It's not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. God is the one who made all things. He made the material world. He makes finances. And in fact, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, that God is the one who gives us the ability to make wealth. I've told you this before, but if you... Some of you here this morning are extremely well off financially because you've made wise investments over the years or you've been good savers or whatever the reason is. Well, God is the one who is behind that. He's the source of it. He's given you that ability. Somebody said it. I think it's true. If the world was like a people of a hundred villages... And everybody in the village, all 100 people, were given exactly the same amount of money. Let's give everybody $100,000. Now, everybody is equal. Everybody has the same resources, the same amount, and everything else. In about three months from now, there'll be 10% of the people who'll be multimillionaires, and there'll be 10% of the people who'll have hardly anything, and there'll be a whole lot of other people on a scale in between. Some people are good at handling money. Some people are bad at handling money. And we all, I think, are probably in the same boat if at some point we struggle with handling money, at some point. Some of us, it's just partly the way God has shaped it. God gives us the ability. Well, some people he gives the ability to do it and some people he doesn't. Bill Gates, apparently, can make it. So can a whole lot of other people. But, well, here's a test question for you. This is not in my notes, so this is going to be longer than what I thought I was going to be. Think about this. And ask and answer this question over your coffee shop discussions. If God could make you a millionaire, would you want to be? Would you want to be a millionaire? God will give you multiple millions of dollars into your bank account. Do you want it or not? And before you rush off and think about, oh, yeah, of course I'd like it, and most of us would, what responsibility is yours when you have that? To whom much is given, much is required. To go to bed tonight and to have $5 in your bank account doesn't leave you a great deal of responsibility for the poor in the world. But to go to bed tonight and you have multiple million dollars in your bank account, what are you doing with that money? Now you've got to be wise and you've got to be careful with it and you've got to manage it as we're going to do this morning. But you're responsible to use it. 
And I would dare say to you this morning, particularly if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you have that amount of resources given to you, then you need God's wisdom in why has God given me this money? What am I to do with it? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. There was a church in New York State, not New York City, but New York State, up in New York State. I think an Episcopalian church, I can't remember now, it's too long ago when I read the story. And somebody in their church died and bequeathed some of their inheritance, if not most of it, to the church. $36 million. Now for some of you, $36 million is a number and you're used to dealing with numbers like that in your work or occupation. For most of us, it's beyond comprehension of how much money that is. Now imagine you're a deacon in that church and you've just been given $36 million. Lord, what do we do with it? The house next door is up for sale. Well, so what? What does God want us to do? That's the issue. Managing your finances according to his will and his purposes. It's a big responsibility. So money is morally neutral. It's not good or evil. If anything, it's more on the good side. It's neutral, in fact. God is the one who made the world. He declares everything to be good. God is the one who gives us the ability to make money. I remind you that God, in fact, owns it all. You don't own it. God does. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. He owns it. It's his. It's been lent to you. And he calls you to be a steward, a manager of what he has entrusted to you. For whatever means, through whatever means he has given it to you. And God will require you to be faithful and productive with it. He certainly doesn't want you to bury it. We have that story of the Lord Jesus. And to do nothing with it. He gave it to you to be productive and faithful and wise. Well, here are three things and the multiple subsets, but three main things that God wants us to do with our money. Number one, he wants us to enjoy it. Everybody say hallelujah. Not one. Number two, he wants us to provide or to give. And number three, he wants us to pay our debts. Number one, he wants us to enjoy it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. I love this verse. Charles Swindle pointed it out for me. That in all of the things that God has given us, our money and our resources, he has given us our finances for us to enjoy them. How about that? In fact, that's so important a verse, I want to read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The whole of 1 Timothy chapter 6 is very good when it comes to this topic. But verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, command, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. Here's a great truth. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wow. Command those who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant, don't put your hope in wealth, but to look to God who provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share and so on. But God gives you money for you to enjoy life. He cares about you. Every aspect. He wants you driving VWs, not Corollas. That's not true. 
but it is a serious consideration to give. Lord, I have this money for my life, for my enjoyment, and I'm to be thankful and grateful. He's the one who provided. It's okay to spend money on yourself. Don't, no. <laughs> From there across, it's okay to spend money on yourself. Number two, to give. Order of priority, family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 4 and 8. We are responsible to look after and to provide for our family. And in fact, it says that if we do not look after our families and those in need in our family, then we are worse than an unbeliever. We're behaving like we don't know Jesus. So it's not about give your money away to everybody else and blow the family. God will look after us. Wrong. Look after your family. That's why God has resourced you. That's where your priorities are to be. It's not to stop there. You're not to spend it only on yourself for your own enjoyment, nor are you to spend it all on your family only. But your family is a priority. And you've got to figure out for yourself between you and God, when you have $10 in the bank, you have $10 in savings, and you need food for the kids, and you need money for church to put in the plate or whatever else you wanted to give to, you have to make a choice. And I don't think it's always wise or right for you to go, I'll put the $10 in the plate and I'll trust God. I think that's foolish. Unless, if God says to you, I want you to put the $10 in the plate and trust me, ah, that's different. Now you're trusting his direction. Now you're Elijah and the widow and you're doing what he wants. But on your own thinking, on your own bat, I'll do that and trust God. I think God thinks that's a bit irresponsible. Because he tells us, I gave you that to look after your family. Look after your family. Number two, biblically speaking, and it sounds a little bit self-interested, but you are responsible to provide for the spiritual leaders and ministry of your local church. Priority number two. Galatians 6, 6, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Well, what else? God also wants us to be providing, to be giving for our Christian brothers and sisters in need to help one another out. God also wants us to practice hospitality to strangers. The Lord also wants us to be giving to the needy people in our community. This is now outside the family and the church. To be giving to the poor, the widows and the children. Proverbs 21.13 If anybody turns their ear away from listening to the poor, even their prayers will go unanswered. Ignore the poor and God's not happy. Finally, God wants us all to be giving to be supporting Christian ministry, parachurch ministries. Philippians chapter 4, in fact, talks about how the Philippian church not just supported their own church structures, but they also supported Paul in his ministry. It's like giving to missionaries. And I think that's probably the priority. You need to work out your priority, but that would be, I think, the order I would go in. We are to enjoy it. We're to use it to provide, to give. And thirdly, we are to use our money to pay, to pay our debts and to pay our taxes. Romans 13, for both of them. Jesus reminds us we can't serve two monies, two masters. Can't serve two monies either, you can only have one, um, unless you're in England. <clears throat> this helps us to address the whole issue of possessiveness. This is mine, I want to keep it. Well... 
God's not first at that point, mammon is. It also helps deliver us from covetousness. If possessiveness is, this is mine, I want to keep it, covetousness is, that's yours and I want it. It's desiring what somebody else has got. And it's delivering us from this whole preoccupation with wealth. That 1 Timothy 6 chapter talks about um, people who are desirous of money to be wealthy have pierced themselves with many griefs. They've wandered from the faith and they've put themselves into a worse situation. People desiring and going after wealth, being preoccupied with it to the exclusion of God being first. So when it comes to money, we're not to waste it, we're not to love it, we're not to live for it, we're not to trust it, and we're not, not to expect it to satisfy us. It belongs to him. And he gives it to us, he lends it to us in order for us to use it wisely. And God will certainly do that as a test. The amount he give you, he's testing you. Are you going to be honest and faithful and loyal with what I've given you? Because if you are then eventually I will entrust you with more, whether it's in this life or in the next. The Lord Jesus talks about that aspect of the next. In Luke 16, he says, If you have been unfaithful in that which is little, who's going to entrust you true riches? He's talking about heaven. So this life is a test, and what we do with the money is a test. And if we're keeping it for ourselves, if we're spending it only on ourselves and on our family and nobody else, we're failing the test, according to God's standard and God's word. Money, in fact, reveals what we love most. Love can be spelt G-I-V-E, give. What we give to is what we love, whether it's time or money or whatever it is that we give. And money, therefore, shows where our heart is. That's what Jesus says, Matthew 16. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Because where your treasures are, there your heart will be. Your money will reveal where your heart is. Money, therefore, is a tool that God gives us for his purposes. And we ought to use money especially to help other people get into heaven for the work of the gospel, the local church and parachurch ministry. So God owns it all. God has generously given us all of the things that we have for our enjoyment, for us to provide for those areas of responsibility and for us to pay our debts. And our giving is a response to him. In the passage that I read to you, these principles are there, just quickly. We should certainly give in keeping with our income. We can only give according to our means, beyond our means. I think it was 25% of the people in Japan. Oh, how do I say this? On average, the people in Japan save 25% of their income. I think this is a couple of years ago. On average, the people in Europe were saving like 17, 18% of their income. And this is an American book. On average, back in that same period of time, the, the average American spent $1, 1% more than they earned on their annual income. And it seems to me it's a trend of our young generation that... My generation has modelled it and taught it. The baby boomers have been the biggest and most spoilt of generations and now we're passing that on to the next generation. The younger generation now expect it. And then it was like when you got married, but when I got married, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a house, we didn't have a car, we didn't have, didn't have anything. We didn't even have a caravan. I think we were renting a caravan. The first stick of furniture we bought, we still have. 
It's a four-legged stool, which has fallen apart about 40 times in 40 years. And we've glued it together. It's now rickety, but we can't get rid of it. It's our most prized possession. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just fond memories. We bought it because we're in a caravan, which is where we first lived. My parents gave us the furniture that we had. I bet you I'm not alone in telling this story. We got married with nothing and then you slowly acquired and possessed and bought things as you went along. These days, people buy a house, they got a car, they're all set up, then they get married. It's different, isn't it? It's not wrong. It's just different. But it does create pressures. We are to give according to our income. We are to decide how much we are going to give to God, to people savings for ourselves it's up to us it's to be carefully thought through and not spur of the moment we are to give not reluctantly or under a sense of compulsion but cheerfully because we want to give in response to his grace to us and God is able to certainly to bless and to increase so that we can have even more to give and give and give but the most important principle which is in the chapter beforehand 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 5 number one give yourself to God first the Corinthians wanted to give they didn't have a lot of money but they out of their poverty they wanted to give to this collection that was being raised for the poor back in Jerusalem and they wanted to give and the apostle Paul writes and said first they gave themselves to God and then out of that submission and response to him they gave well that's the first step you can't buy God's favor you can't buy your ticket to heaven God's not impressed by the money that you put in the plate. You need to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ first. Ask him to be your Lord and your Saviour. Get that relationship sorted out. Hand over the controls of your life to him. Invite him to be the manager of your life, the driver's seat. I've told you before about the little boy. When it came to the offering, he found out on that day he didn't have any pocket money, he didn't have any money in his pockets to give. So when the offering plate came around, he took the offering plate, put it on the ground, and then he stood in it himself. He gave himself to God as his offering. That's what's required. That's the first thing you need to do. Have done that. If you come to a point in your life where you've said, Lord, I need you not only to forgive me for my sins and give me the gift of eternal life, I need you to be Lord of my life. I hand the reins of my life over to you. I will obey you and follow you and trust you. Have you? If you haven't, will you? Or maybe, as I said before, maybe that's something you've done before. But you've been preoccupied, you've been distracted, you've gotten off course a little bit and you need to realign. Is it something you need to do again to re-give your life to him? To tell him you're sorry, to confess, Lord, I've been driving my life and you're the one, you're the only one who needs to be doing it. I need you to be Lord of my life. Give yourself to God first. Let him lead you and then decide on what you're going to give and how you will manage your finances. So seven very quick reminders. If you're doing the course, the booklet, the journal, or if you're in your life groups doing this material, then these are the seven practical things you'll expand on this week. I'll just fire them off for you. Number one. Come to the point of trusting or realising afresh that God is, in fact, the source of my income. He's the supplier. Just like turning on a tap and water comes out, the tap 
is not the origin of water. So my job, my occupation, my employment, my investments is not the source of my income or of my wealth. That's the channel, that's the means that God does to get it to you. You can lose your job, but God is still the supplier. Water doesn't come from the tap. Water comes from the ice and the rains that fall and from that's accumulated and then transferred to you. It comes from him. God is the source of my income. Deuteronomy 8.18. Number two, this is the one I struggled with and challenged me this week. I need to keep good records of my finances or either have somebody else do it or pay somebody to do it. But I need to have good records of my income. I'm to be a manager of my income. And some of us certainly do that much better than others. And some of us need some help. And we can provide some of that help. We can arrange for that for you if you need it. Proverbs 27 says, Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely, This the Living Bible says. It says, Know the state of your flocks and herds. It's an agricultural society, it's an agricultural metaphor. When he says, know the state of your flocks and herds, what's he talking about? Know the state of your income, know where your business is up to, know where your financial health is. In those, back in those days, it was flocks and herds. In these days, it's stocks and bonds, I guess. Know where it's at, be aware. And like I said before, it's either you do it, someone else to do it for you, or pay someone else to do it for you to keep good records to manage appropriately and to that end number three you need to make a decision prioritizing God first what will be the portion of my income that I give to him and that's what I do first I give to God first if you want God's blessing in your life put him first the purpose of in the old testament it was tithing the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put your trust in God first. Put God first in your life. Deuteronomy 14. In the New Testament, it's now proportionate giving. Tithing or 10% is not a bad guideline. Don't be limited by that, nor be constrained by that. It's between you and the Lord. He resources you and he expects you to make a response. Part of what you give is to be given to him and to his work through the local church and to others as well. Number four, save and invest for the future. If we're going to be good managers, then we need to be saving and investing wisely. Proverbs 21 says, The wise man saves for the future, stores it up, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Savings, storing it up. Somebody had said, I don't know where I read it, but a marriage pre-counselling book 100 years ago, 10% to God, 10% to savings and future investments, live off 80% in the middle. It's not a bad guideline. And if we're living beyond the 80%, then maybe we're living beyond our means. Number five, make sure that if you have debts, that you have a repayment plan. Bible certainly says, don't withhold repaying your debts. Romans 13 says, let no debt remain outstanding. Pay your debts. Work it out how you can do it sensibly. Number six, budget. Budget your spending. And if you don't budget your spending, then you'll probably do what most of us do, which is you'll do impulse buying. 
particularly when they're on sale. We think we're being wise. But if you don't have a budget and you don't know how much money you've got and you don't know where the money's going, then we can end up wasting a lot of money. Proverbs 21 says that. Foolish people spend their money as fast as they get it. We need to be sales resistant. <laughs> we need to avoid just getting the latest update. Do we really need it? Need to be wise. And then finally, don't forget, God gives us your resources, your finances to enjoy. He cares about you and he wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to be distracted though by finances. That's not what will satisfy you. Your satisfaction will be in him and in your relationship with him and in your relationship with others who love and whom you love. The Bible talks about being content. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Care about you. Resourced you. Use it wisely. Let God work in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign one, the one who owns it all, that you've resourced us, that you've given each of us a portion of uh, income, a portion of wealth, and that your word's very clear in directing us that we have responsibilities as well as privileges. Lord, deliver us from covetousness and from materialism and from greed, from wanting to keep up with the Joneses, help us to be much wiser. Help us to love you first and not to be distracted by mammon. Thank you for the resources you've given us for us to enjoy life, but help us to find also great delight in loving you and in serving you. Lord, assist us please in being managers of that which you have provided. We ask this, that we might be financially healthy, transformed as we follow the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat>